Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Off Topic with Darren Wilson, and my name is Darren. This episode is kind of a part two from my previous episode with Mallory Mackey. This time, Mallory's husband, Damien, joins us for more chat about their adventures together, writing projects they're working on, Damien's acting, producing, and directing, like their current web series called Tag a Friend, which you can see on Facebook. So without further ado, enjoy. I am sitting with Mallory Mackey and her husband, Damien. Howdy. Hi. And we are going to, it's kind of a continuation and a separate podcast from the last one with Mallory. And um, you guys have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're both producers, writers, actors, um, show creators, content yeah. creators. Producers, writers, actors, uh, writers of novels, writers of... <laughs> you have to do it all when you come out to L.A. Otherwise, you'll never, you'll never get work. You, know? you have to make it happen for yourself. Yes. Everything except Uber and Lyft. I refuse to do Uber and Lyft. I drive too much as it is. (laughs) So, okay. I touched a little bit on on this subject with Mallory in her chat, but you guys... Well, let's go back to where you guys met. When did Uh, you guys meet? Technically, we met in middle school. Um, We were in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, actually, she wrote a book about this recently. Yeah, actually, well, it's a short story. A short story. But, but yeah, we met we met in middle school, and uh, we didn't start dating until high school. But uh, we were in high school theater together. I kind of mentioned in the last one about being in the high school theater, doing five or six different shows a year, and that kind of you know got us ready to decide to go to college for theater. And then we went to college for theater together, and then we moved out here together. So you guys are high school sweethearts. High school sweethearts. Yeah, we, we started dating uh, junior year of high school. Um, I had a big crush on her in middle school, but, you know, we had to mature a little bit from then. And then we, we went out f- four years later. Um, I actually got into theater entirely because of her, because I was um, I was in band and I was terrible at band and I hated it. And she, I was in band with her in middle school, and I asked her what she was doing next year for her like free elective or whatever it was, and she said that she was going into theater. So I chose theater simply because she told me she was going into theater, so I wanted us to have a class together, and that literally got me started on that. However, my first role, which is always a hilarious story, my theater teacher walked up to me, because I wasn't auditioning for after-school programs in high school. I was only doing the shows like in the class that we were in and my theater teacher walked up to me and said, Hey, are you free in the evenings after school? I said, yeah, he says, cool. You're playing this part. And he handed me a part. It was for the sound of music. And my first role ever was as air Zeller, uh, as, as the Nazi in Welcome the sound of act- music. Welcome to acting. Yeah. So he did a, a colorblind cast of yeah, me Damien, as a Nazi. Damien's not really like white, white either for those who can't see him. Yeah. I am uh, I'm very mixed heritage. My mom is half black, half Mexican. My father is uh, Cherokee and German. So I'm a very mixed individual. And yes. uh, in our high school, we had exactly four people with brown skin color uh, in the entirety of our class. And one of them was playing the Nazi. So that was kind of interesting. And that was my first foyer into, into acting. Um, it was very interesting, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, how did that play go? Uh, it went really well. Uh, we actually had a really f- funny slash horrible uh, comment uh, made about me. Uh, there was a guy who um, was actually in uh, Nazi Germany at the time. And he had experienced a lot of uh, Nazis and what they acted like. And uh, he went up to my father after the play and said to my father, your son was just like those bastards. So it was a very interesting uh, compliment to get, but uh, I I call that a compliment because I did research. And so I was glad to uh, at least portray their ego as well as I did. Yeah, that's odd. It was, I'm sure, a rough comment to get, but as an actor... That's a good compliment to get. Yeah. When you're playing the bad guy, especially something like a Nazi, like it, it's a very interesting thing to hear. But at the same time, it is a good compliment to get because yeah. it means that the work I did was worth, worth something. So but uh, but it was good. And it I never I, I auditioned for every 
play since then. And uh, then slowly when we went to college, made the transition from stage to film. And I haven't looked back since. It's also funny because in college, you know, he was solely like, oh, I'm an actor, I'm an actor, I'm an actor. And our teachers were like, no, you're going to be a director and you're going to be a producer. You just don't know it yet. And he's like, no. And then, of course, he came out here and found such a talent and a knack for that. Mm -hmm. And they they knew before he did. Well, foreshadowing going on. Yeah. And, you know, I like acting. I do. Like, I still act. I'm actually acting in uh, a piece coming up in the next two weeks here. But um, I realized I only like acting in roles that I like. And most of the actor's life is auditioning for roles that you may not like, but right. that you may that, that you may fit or may, that someone thinks you fit or whatever. And I realized I didn't want to dedicate a career to struggling to get a part. And then with the chances of me liking the part I get being basically non-existent. And I realized that that's what made acting not for me. I still okay. love acting and I act in a lot of things, but I don't act in things where I don't like the part. You have control over what you're acting in now. And yeah. that's, that's a great bit of control to have in yeah. this crazy life. Yeah, I, abs- I absolutely love that. And my friends that give me the acting roles they do, I love that they do the same thing. And it's, it's, it's nice, but... I realized that's why I couldn't make it as an actor proper because a real actor has to be going out to auditions, you know, like five times a week or for anything and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For anything and everything. And they just have to take what they can get. And yeah. I just, it wasn't the life for me. I couldn't do that. I prefer to create something I believe in, which nice. Uh, it's nice as a director or producer, I get to do that. Yes. And we'll touch on that in a minute, but first you guys both graduated with degrees mm-hmm. back East. Yes. Uh, Bachelor of Fine Arts and Performance. Both of us graduated from VCU. We had uh, VCU was very interesting at the time. I don't know what it's still like, but you had to re-audition to get back in every year, and they would weed out the people that they thought couldn't make it in right. the business. And so we re-auditioned, and all three years we got back in. Um, so it was pretty. It was a pretty interesting um, college experience because it kind of hardened you to a couple of things. I know mm-hmm. my sophomore year. Uh, my professor, Gary Hopper, who is one of the most influential people in how I operate today, um, I went to him for advice before my uh, sophomore assessments, which is you know the audition, and I asked him if he thought I was ready for this business, and he told me no. And I worked my butt off to try to stay in, and when we got our letters afterwards that let us know whether or not we got back in or not, I got back in, and there was two different forms you could be let back in. One was provisionally. So you're like let back in, but they want you to work on these things about yourself. And the other letter, it just says you're back in. We love the work that you're doing. I actually got the one that just said, we, we love the work you're doing. And so I went to Mr. Hopper after that. And I said, Mr. Hopper, I thought you said you didn't think I could uh, make it back in. And he just smiled at me and walked away. And I realized that he did it because he knew that would motivate me. And I, I love, I love that. And it, it, that level of thinking changed a lot about how I do things. He was he was a very like f- frightening man. Like he was very Disney in a way, but then also very disturbingly frightening because he wanted you to embrace the creative unknown. Was what he would always right. say. So you could never hesitate. So if he called you to the front of the class without any context, you better get up there excited like, "Yeah!" Cuz if you hesitated, he'd make you do it 7 times until you did it without hesitation. Right. <laughs> so that was an experience. But some, it was good. He taught discipline. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some teachers are good. They're yeah. really good. And it made you work harder. Mm-hmm. Yes. It so. made me work harder. And it made me realize how hard I needed to work to be in this business. Mm-hmm. Because so many people, uh, especially from my college, you know, and I, I mean, no disrespect to them, but I see a lot of them blaming uh, the way that teachers made them think about their body image or their uh, work ethic or whether they were good enough and always making them judge. But being out in this business in LA, that was them being kind and yeah. trying to show them how yeah. absolutely tough it was to survive in this business and to thrive in this business. And I see a lot of those people that uh, didn't take to the discipline that was being taught, uh, never really continued to pursue it seriously. And yep. you, you will be typecast. I mean, they taught us that, and people would get so upset that, why are you typecasting me like this? I want to play this. But you're never going to play that role. You right. know, with the industry typecasts, and that's what it is. And uh-huh. so they were trying to help us see that in advance, and people really didn't, a lot of people didn't take that 
information. Yeah, it's a tough thing for a lot of people to accept that mm-hmm. you you can't you don't have the range to do everything that's out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I do like how Hollywood is moving to a place where. Um, a lot of those preconceptions are being changed, being flipped. And so people can play certain different roles and body type is mattering less and everything, but that's going to be a process that's going to take a decade or more. And, and, and that it is important that we move forward as a society, but for right now we have to recognize the rules as they are Mm -hmm. and the rules as they are. If you are somebody um, that doesn't fit the general conception of what that role requires, you're not going to be cast in that role. Right. I mean, and even to an extent, like I'm never going to be cast until I'm 80 years old. I'm not going to be cast as an 80-year-old woman. So there's roles that I just can't play. You know? I think when you're 80, you'll still play a teenager, though. Probably. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, she's... she's <clears throat> 30 now and yeah. she's still playing she can still, 18 she can you can still pass as a 15 year old yeah i get carded school. a lot but i mean not just for alcohol like i i got carded in a casino oh, a couple no, years on, ago no. the best or a story, year ago the best story was when we went to the san diego zoo and the san diego zoo had a thing or uh was it san diego no it was the richmond science museum sorry richmond science museum <laughs> okay ter- totally different place same totally same thing that place. happened but they had a they had a deal that if you were 12 years old your ticket was like six bucks and then 18 year old or no. was a different price she- i took her on a date to there and they gave me the adult ticket and they gave her the 12 and under ticket and I, the way they looked at me, I didn't understand. And then when I looked at the ticket prices, I was like, I really hope they did that to be nice and that they don't think that I am just totally creepy. But you didn't get arrested. For dating, I didn't get arrested. For dating a 12-year-old. No, no, no cops <laughs> came to, to talk to me about it that day, at least. So. It doesn't help because, like, I don't know. When we went to go to Vegas, I have this leopard or it's a, it's a tiger stuffed animal backpack i mean it's cute right but i guess it ages me down but it's and then i'm in the casino <laughs> with that on and they're like ma'am we need if you're going to stand here in the casino we need to see your id and that has happened many times no one asked so, for my id yeah <laughs> when you're 80 you'll still be playing you know i hope roles that are <laughs> half your age if not more than half your age so oh, it's it's a good problem to have yes, yes. And it's not a problem <laughs> i absolutely agree <laughs> So you guys graduated, and then you packed up and drove across the country. Yeah, we did. Um, we actually, I, we were really lucky that we had a close group of friends. One of which is no longer here, but I think that's a story for another day. But uh, we came out here with five or six people. Five. It was five. Five people. We came out here with five people. Um, we all loaded up a truck and got out of here. Uh, Matt Pavlo, who is one of my dearest friends he's actually the director of photography and editor on several episodes of tag your friend he director director of photography for a lot of the things that i work on he's an incredibly talented individual um we met him because he was the boyfriend of a friend of ours and um because of some things that had happened he wanted to get out of dodge in virginia and basically uh the college that we went to um lost his records and was trying to claim that he never went to class or anything. It was this whole terrible mess. Uh, but he basically fled that and came to California to pave the way for his girlfriend at the time to come out here. And we met him like the day we were moving out, like maybe two days before. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> so um, four close friends uh, moved out here. One of which we still live with is uh, Jimmy or James McInerney. He's a writer of a lot of the things that I work on too. He's a very talented writer. Um, uh another guy, and then Matt Pavlo, we all got into a truck, put all of our stuff on the truck, and then moved out here. And on our way out here, the uh, people that we had uh, arranged an apartment with called us to say, oh, sorry, we can't rent this to to the five of you. It's too many people. So we're in the truck, calling, looking around on our phones. We have a three-day journey from Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, to California, LA, and we had to find an apartment. We locked one the night before we got here. And then came and then saw it and we got lucky. It was it was one of the most beautiful apartments um, that we'd ever stayed in. It was just a, a good experience. But we got completely lucky because we, we were almost homeless getting out here in a truck with all of our stuff at the edge of all of our funding. It was it was an experience. Yeah, that's a big move and that's cool that you guys came with a bunch of good people and you're still friends with them and still work with them. And yeah. No, it's it's a wonderful experience to I and Mallory as well really believe in family 
And for us, we like to develop a family of people we work with. Mm -hmm. And I like to keep working with the same people over and over and over again. And like I said, there's someone that um, we're no longer friends with from that original group. But outside of the one person, we've had nothing but a wonderful family experience. And everyone we work with is just a friend and someone that we help take care of. It's it's a great thing. And you, you can't really... I mean, it's very hard to move out here without that community, too, because sure. we wouldn't have been able to afford an apartment just us. You know, right. at the time, we needed to have four or five people contributing to rent to make it work until we were settled and we had jobs. Like I was the only one, like I said in my podcast, that had a job coming out here. It was kind of just, what's going to happen? Yeah. And you were lucky enough to, to transfer from Victoria's Secret mm -hmm. out there to here. Mm -hmm. So you were kind of secure in a job. And what did you do, Damien, when you got uh, here? I uh, twiddled my thumbs and ate ramen noodles, uh, <laughs> white rice. Um, begged. They job hunted every day. Yeah, job <laughs> hunted a lot. And, and honestly, for the first couple of months, I tried to just be an actor. And, and we went out and we, we went to a couple of different places. And I just was like, oh, I'll, I'll make it. I'll just, you know, get an acting role and it'll help me pay. And that was dumb. Uh, and so we, we instead, uh, my uncle at the time was working with a company that was a background talent company out here. So we actually did a lot of background work for the first couple yeah. of months to help us get by. Mm -hmm. Um, and then eventually I landed at a restaurant called cafe fifties. Um, and the funny thing was they didn't say that they were looking for waiters. It said looking for waitresses. But I just was desperate, so I just went in, and I was like, look, I have nighttime experience. And it just so happened that the guy was trying to turn the restaurant into a 24-hour restaurant. So he hired me because I had worked at Waffle House for five years previous to that at as the nighttime you know, manager slash cook, waiter, or whatever. Right. And I had experience doing that. Now, he never went 24 hours, but at least he ended up giving me a job. And I ended yeah. up staying there for three years until... Uh, I joined a different company, uh, my day job, uh, with a company called Doctors on Leans, and uh, they are, my boss is like the most wonderful human being ever, and she's very encouraging of me reaching out and, and still achieving my movie dreams and everything, so mm -hmm. she supports me while I continue to work in this industry and, and, and find uh, the career path that I was looking for. So. Even in LA, it's still hard to find people that are supportive yeah, of your career and auditioning and taking time off and still having a job when you're when that, that gig is done. Many people have bad experiences. I feel like with actors because actors have a bad rep, and sometimes it, it's you know true and validated that they're not always on time. They're not always mm -hmm. there. That they'll cancel. You know, they'll call out of their shift because they got an audition. Right. So it really takes an honest relationship with an employer and hoping that they'll be understanding but i feel like if you're understanding with them they're usually understanding towards you if you if you find the right person right. And yeah, communication it, it's just and it's very hard but yeah like i said I, I have a wonderful work family and every single human being at my work is just a wonderful human being that uh really does care for me and it helps to make working out here uh, a lot easier bearable um, a lot more bearable yeah. yeah exactly and and it's it's a, it's a wonderful thing a little easier to get up in the morning. Yeah, a lot easier to get <laughs> yeah. up in the morning because I've been, you know, like I said, I worked the diner scene for, you know, like eight years basically back to back. And let me tell you what, when you work from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. with drunks that have had a bad day, uh, it makes you not even want to crawl out of your bed to go to work. Right. And it, it, it ruins, it, it poisons your viewpoint, your perspective viewpoint on life. Getting away from that and getting towards wonderfully positive people, it actually changes your entire worldview. Mm -hmm. So it, it is a very important experience. Absolutely. So you guys arrived here in L.A. from Virginia what year? 2010. Yeah, 2010 would have been like June 2010. Okay, and you, Damien, are a producer, a director, an actor, a writer? A writer. Um, I'm actually currently working on... Uh, two fantasy novels. Um, one of my dreams is actually to write a fantasy novel, uh, something in the vein of like um, the Wheel of Time or Game of Thrones or you know even smaller teenage series like Everworld Animorphs, like just fun fantasy type series. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in dreaming. Uh, it's like I, I'm very dorky. I play Dungeons and Dragons all the time. I absolutely I. I dungeon master for dungeons and dragons games and i play in them and I, I absolutely love fantasizing 
and creating stories. So basically, if you had to nail my my what I want to do down, like all of the things, I'm a storyteller. Right. And that's what I love okay. to do. And that coincides with being a, a director and producer. It's like you're telling a story, you're creating content, you're making movies, you're yep. providing entertainment. Yep. And that's exactly what I want to do. And I believe in providing content that has some form of philosophical or moral um, message in everything and anything that I like to create, even something as comedic as tag your friend tag. Your friend is about, you know, real friends really exaggerated. And the reason why I created it with Andrew Flack and Mickey Woodall and, and Philip Galaris, it's because it was a series where we took what real people are and just, you know, showed it to the world. It, it, it's a message that um, is important to me because it's, Friends groups are not perfect. Everybody always thinks, oh, well, my friends, they're all just wonderful people. Well, if you have a really close group of friends and everyone is just themselves and they're truthful, there is just a lot of conflict and weird things that happen within your friendship, but it's yeah. it's like to be expected. Not necessarily in a bad way. It's just, it's part of life. And yes. You can't live a perfect day every day. Yes. And that's exactly what it is. And so to show what adventures imperfect people take you on, it, it's... It, it provides a real atmosphere of what friendship is. Cause like when you watch the show friends, I feel like they did a really good job of it too, where they have very flawed people, but they're all a close group of friends. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they're there for each other. They stick together, they stick together and, yeah. and, and they believe in each other and they love each other. At, but they still have all these wild stories to tell. Cause it's like, you know, with Mickey, we have Mickey as this larger than life character who gets angry all the time and tosses tables and uh, has jealousy <laughs> issues. And all. these are all real traits. This is who he really is as a person. Now, obviously we, we uh, exaggerated a little bit to, to tell a, com- a comedic story, but the truth is like, he really is kind of like that. Like there was uh, a time is a real story. Um, we recently released, or no, it's coming up soon. It's Overprotective Friend, uh, which stars Mickey, where uh, some guy's hitting on Mallory and he freaks out. And this was a real story. We were walking down the street and these two guys were catcalling Mallory and our other friend. And I heard it, but, you know, it was, it was not worth getting into a confrontation. I was trying to just keep the group going. And Mickey spun on a dime because he didn't hear what they said. And when I repeated what they said, he spun on a dime and immediately started walking across a a street, which had cars going back and forth. We were on Ventura Boulevard. He literally just started walking like into traffic to go get at these guys who had crossed the street after catcalling. And he was ready to to take them down. And, And it's like, that's who he is as a person. He loves his family so much. And any disrespect like that instantly on a switch on a dime turns around and he becomes a raving maniac. And, uh, and so overprotective kind of tells that same story in a little bit more of a comedic way. But, um, you know, it's like dealing with the, uh, real things like that. Um, that's, that's what tag your friend is. And that go ahead. Everybody has quirks and nobody's perfect. And I feel like the best thing you can do for yourself, which tag your friend does is to recognize your own quirks because if you, and those of your friends, because if you expect your friends to be perfect, you're going to be really let down. It's not going to be a good friendship. You have to recognize who someone really is and, you know, kind of celebrate that. And yeah. And the good friends, the ones that you want to keep around and the ones that stick around are the ones that you can have these conversations with Mm -hmm. and you can talk about it. And whether it be a, a, a little heated argument or, whatever kind of conflict the conversation brings up, you guys work it out in the end and you're still friends. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and it's actually that what you just touched on is something very important that happened to me recently. And that's, I was a member of a, a friends group that for a long time, I couldn't understand why I always felt ostracized and I always felt like I shouldn't be there. And, and I was always trying to be, I always felt like I was lesser than, and I kept trying to strive to be a part of the group and I could, I just could never get there. And what I ended up realizing was that the group functioned in an untruthful way. The way they act with each other is that everybody has to, when they come together to in this group of friends, they have to pretend that everything is great. They're everything fake. is wonderful. <laughs> uh, it's very LA. It's very two faced where they're like saying things behind your back, but to your face, they're oh no, you, I would love having you here. You know, it's so wonderful. You could come and all that stuff. And I didn't realize for years that all of that, that good that was presented in the group, that it was all completely smoke and mirrors. Yeah. 
And I felt terrible. And I finally, when I walked away from that group and came to my own friend's group who were there for me and supporting me and wouldn't understand why I would go hang out with these other people, they would constantly tell me, it's like, you know, you're smoking mirrors, but I would, I would get caught in my own head. I'm like, yeah, but you just punched a guy for saying a weird thing, you know? And like for, you know, like to my friend's group. And I, I realized in the end what my friend's group had that the other one didn't was truth. My friend's mm-hmm. group was who they were and they weren't pretending to be anyone else. And they loved me for who I was. And I realized that just, you know, it's okay if conflicts come up, if it's just who you are and you're being truthful. And when you can have those real conversations with people, you can get closer to them. You right. understand them better. You feel welcomed and appreciated and accepted. I couldn't feel that in the other group because I was unwilling to be a fake human being. I couldn't pretend to be somebody they wanted me to be, even though that's the rules everyone else followed. And so I, I think it's just a very important thing that with Tag Your Friend um, and just friends groups in general, I think you just need to be with friends who can be themselves. Mm-hmm. And nobody's perfect. No. Everyone has flaws. Everybody has things about them that aren't, you know, always pleasant to be around. But if if they're themselves, at least you know that's who they are. Right. And having that tight-knit group and, and being able to communicate with those people and knowing when somebody needs their space or somebody's okay to be, you know, aggressive with or that's, that's important. Yes. So you, I think you guys do a pretty good job of translating that in tag your friend. So did you come up with the, the concept for the show so, by yourself or so? No. So originally, um, it was Andrew Flack, myself, um, and Mickey Woodall. And we had come up with this idea called DM me, which mm-hmm. was slightly different than tag your friend. It, it, the idea kind of evolved, but the, the idea was DM It was Damien and Mickey and Andrew was going to be behind the camera for a lot of these episodes. And, I am a pretty logistical person. I am very anti-emotions in the way that I try to carry out logic. And I try to, you know, uh, you know, people call me an asshole. Like, you know, like I'm just a very straightforward person. Mickey is the opposite of me. He's wildly emotional. He's, uh, you know, he's somebody that when he just gets a whim, he acts on it without thinking about the consequences ever. Like, and, and just, he is basically the, my antithesis, but he's one of my best and closest friends. And so we thought it would be funny to just have situations with me and Mickey where DM me, I was like talking to my friend and I'm like, Oh, I can't believe my friend Mickey did such and such today and would talk about the things that Mickey would do. And then vice versa, Mickey would be like, I can't believe Damien was like this. It was kind of like the odd couple sort of, Mm -hmm. um, where it's just two people that are wildly different, but they're just close friends that love each other. And then the idea we, we started adding Andrew into the mix into like a three stooges esque routine because Andrew brings a very, um, he's a very meek personality that always seeking to please people. But he's, he's like a, a film critic, and so he has these things, and he'll have these perspectives on things that nobody agrees with. He's a very interesting, weird, off-the-wall character. He thinks Spider-Man 3 is the best movie ever, I'm just saying. Yeah, so like, <laughs> you know, he's a very differently thinking individual. But but so he we started coming up with a character for him, and then my, um, my friend Philip Galaris, he got involved, and so he helped to develop a character that also came into the show, and... Um, and then we started expanding it to just a general group of friends and all of the traits of these friends. And that's how Tag Your Friend evolved. And we all came up with the idea together. Okay. All of the scripts were written by different people. Um, even recently, we had um, Heather Crumley and, and Mallory here wrote a couple episodes that are more female centric um, and about like their female friends groups and, and things like that. So we, we've had a lot of friend input to things. We have constant guest stars. Every guest star or every person on the show is an actual friend. Everyone we bring on the show is a friend. They're exemplifying things about themselves or they're playing a character that's like someone else. But even if they're playing a character, the person, the actor themselves are actually a friend of ours because we wanted to make this as a group of friends, including our our DP, our, our sound people, everybody that's involved. They're all friends that we can make um, make this magic with. Mm-hmm. And um, um, uh, Cameron Rankin, who's an actor, uh, creator, um, he and his uh, uh, and Erica Howe, 
uh, have been coming out and they've been absolutely wonderful with us. They're close friends of ours and they just saw that we were doing something fun. So they've been guest stars in a couple episodes. They've done a couple of things with us, but they also work behind the scenes. They'll move things around. They act as a production assistant. It's just a whole bunch of friends helping out with each other. Uh, Joe Winters, um, Joe's come on board. He's, he's a guest star as well, but he's like our BTS. So if you see any of our BTS on our Instagram, uh, all of that is captured by Joe who goes around just trying to make people smile and have a good time and, and show what the show's like to make, which is actually incredibly fun. We fly out Matt Pavlo, who he originally was one of the guys that came out on the truck with us. He now lives in Virginia with his wife, Stephanie. Stephanie's our wardrobe. Uh, I mean, our costume designer. Um, she, she is heavily involved in the show, even though she is now, they just had their second child less than a week ago. And, uh, so they're, they've got their whole family life in Virginia, but Matt still flies in to shoot our show for us. He edits our show even from Virginia. So he's Dang. still very much a big part. Very cool. And it's, it's a wonderful family of people that are working on the show. Where can we see it? So you can see it on our Facebook, which is, um, facebook.com slash tag your friend series. Um, also we have a YouTube, which is tag your friend series as well. Um, our Instagram is, uh, I think it was all is also tag your friend series on Instagram. And, uh, we've got a couple other venues like, uh, Tumblr, which is tag your friend series. And I feel like we've got it a couple other places, but the main focus is on Facebook. So if you okay. have a Facebook follow tag your friend series, um, we post an episode every week on Wednesday at 10 AM. Without fail, we have the entire first season started in September, and we, we're going to be going until October okay. of next year. I'll put all the links and stuff to um, everywhere in the show notes, so Perfect. people can Thank just you. click on it and go straight there. And feel free to uh, comment on Facebook and if you guys have anything to say, if you like the show, and definitely share it with your friends, of course. Yeah, absolutely. No, the... Um, uh, yeah, my, my brain, my brain just died. I was going to yes. say something. You got uh, talker's block as well. Yes, <laughs> yes, that happens. You know, it, it, I think it comes with the creative field. Writer's block extends yeah. to the tongue. I got talker's block during Mallory's episode, so. But I can I'm, edit it out. <laughs> I'm still sitting here wondering if it was actually Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man 3 that Andrew liked, because I don't remember if I said the wrong Spider-Man one. Spider-Man 3 is the one he likes. Okay, it is that one. Okay. Too bad this really? isn't a live show where he could call in and... I know, and complain about it. You know, I'm just kidding. He's, he's pretty great. He, he does a lot for Tiger Friend. We just give him a lot of hard time because he really does like Spider-Man 3 as his favorite. Is he going to want to do his own episode after he hears this? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Okay. And He'll it, explain for you for the entire hour you, why he likes Spider-Man 3. Yeah, if you want someone to talk about their critical opinions on movies, Andrew will talk forever and you won't understand anything he said. Okay, so <laughs> I can just set up the microphone and go walk into the kitchen, make some food, and come oh, back absolutely. an hour later. And... Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But you know, bring him some food because he likes to eat. So, you know, at some point he'll probably need a food break, but you could get at least three to four uh, episodes, I think, if you just <laughs> set a mic in front of him and said, so Andrew, movies, and then you can just go home, you can take a nap, you can come back. You'll probably have at least three to four episodes planned okay. out. Well, since he's not here, this is a good segue into, uh, we're recording this at the end of January, so it's Oscar season. So do we have any Oscar predictions from you guys? Oh. Hmm. He wouldn't be good at that. Hold on, I gotta think about this. Yeah, I was gonna say no. That's that's more of a her <laughs> thing. So as as engrossed as I am in in the film business, I actually am not a big fan of the whole awards for movies thing. I think that it's... movies are such a subjective form of entertainment mm -hmm. that having awards uh, tries to validate some movies over others. And uh, personally, my favorite movie, and this will tell you everything you need to know about me, is a movie called Surf Ninjas. It is an absolutely terrible movie. Uh, about a bunch of uh, ninjas that um, are they're surfers that find out that their heritage is, is uh, based in some ninja stuff and they unlock <laughs> these superpowers and this kid has an, uh, a game gear and it's a game gear that can predict the future and he sees all these things that happen and it's got Rob Snyder when he was super young oh wow it has Ernie Reyes Jr. and Ernie Reyes Sr. in it as the fight team and uh, main characters uh, Ernie Reyes Jr. was the guy that was in uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja T Turtles movies um, it has Leslie Nielsen as, uh, the awesome. bad guy and he plays a bad guy with like his face was squashed by an elephant. It is literally <laughs> my favorite movie of all time. I've watched it more than anything, 
but that movie would never win an award. But that just shows you how important a movie can be to anybody. No, but everything has a following, mm-hmm. and everything, most everything is worth making. It's yes. true. I actually, I got the SAG screeners, you know, and I did watch them this year, because I'm, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to, you know, give a real opinion and watch all of them. And Me too. I enjoyed The Favorite. I did. I feel like that that won the Golden Globe, right? Not this, I love what Rachel Weisz did yes. in The Favorite. I do too. I love Rachel Weisz in that. She deserves an award. I know we're mm-hmm. not too hip on awards in general, but she did an outstanding job in that movie. Yes. No, I, like I said, I get everyone else's love of that, and and I and I get giving awards. I just personally am not motivated to look into it. I do believe that when I see some performances where you're like. Wow, like one of my, one of the performances that literally took my breath away was not this year, but it was Django Unchained. Oh, that was great. Was um, uh, Christoph Waltz's performance in Django? And I, yes. I watching him Amazing. get angry after he lost to um, Leo Leo's character. <laughs> so good. The acting, the camera coming forward, everything. I it took my breath away. It was such a unbelievable performance that I. I couldn't believe it. And so, uh, you know, I believe he did win something he for did, that. And, for and sure. I believe that he deserved that because it really did take my breath away. I just, overall, I, I'm not, I don't pay attention to it. I liked Vice this year. It is not a movie that I would watch probably ever, but for whatever reason, you know, I kept seeing the trailers and I'm like, you know, I want to watch this. And how they transformed everybody into these characters was pretty astounding, actually. Like mm-hmm. Christian Bale, wow, he looked like Dick Cheney and did not look like Christian Bale. And, uh, Sam Rockwell is George Bush, and even Amy Adams, like they, they don't look like themselves, and they do such a good job portraying real people. So I, I applaud that too. Yes, I agree with that, but that also should lend to more departments being oh, recognized sure. and not just. Oh, for sure. The actors, nothing. Not trying to take away anything from anybody, but some departments don't get enough credit. Oh yeah, well the makeup, especially for that, was yes. astounding. For sure. Yeah, every as you know, a lot a lot of my career was in being a first assistant director. Mm-hmm. An assistant director deals with every single department because they're constantly talking to right. every single department to make sure that everything's built the way it needs to be. And let me tell you, it is a community that makes a movie. Yes, it is not a director. A director's voice is the uh, pinhole that everything is funneled through. Right. Yes, absolutely. The producer is the person that gets the idea together or often or, you know, sees it through completion. And then, yes, they are incredibly important, but they're making their money. The director's making, getting his recognition as like everybody from production assistants to uh, art team to makeup to sound. Everybody is creating this movie together as a community and everybody Mm -hmm. should be recognized because it is you cannot do it without every single person that helped every single person on that on that set and there's usually a lot of people on some of the bigger ones but Mm -hmm. they all pretty much need to be there yes Mm -hmm. i mean even down to the background yeah Yeah. i mean the back incredible (laughs) having worked with not great background incredible background is actually very important it is and it gives stuff away actually there's north is it north by northwest like that old hitchcock movie when they're up on mount uh vern or the mount rushmore what was it it's something, it's some big fight scene and the woman pulls the gun on the guy and you actually see this random kid in the background go like this beforehand because I guess they had done it so many times yeah, and then he didn't coming. want to hear the, the shot so he just does this and so, I mean, it's funny that nobody caught it and now you go back <laughs> and look and it's like you can kind of predict sometimes things are going to happen because the way the background reacts. So right. you really do need good background. You do. You do. <laughs> you do. And earplugs. Give them all earplugs if there's a gunshot <laughs> yeah. on Gonna happen. Nope. Very important. <laughs> okay, so tag your friend is what you're working on. One of the things you're working on right now. Yes. And on your IMDb page, there's one in red. A new movie that you're working on. Yes. Um, I'm actually working on a couple things. Some things haven't made it to IMDb yet. So, in February 9th and 10th, I'm actually flying Matt Pavlo out, the same uh, deep director of photography and editor of Tag Your Friend. He's coming out to shoot a short with my good friend Robin Dieter and myself. Robin Dieter will be directing. I'm producing. It's called Alters. And Alters is a short film that we're looking to expand into uh, a feature um, about a person with dissociative identity disorder. And it has a very interesting history in 
uh, an unfortunate Lebanese tragedy. Tragedy. So um, the it'll be a very interesting piece, but we're working on that, and I'll, I'll say more about that later once we've completed uh, the okay. first shootings of the project. But uh, I'm also shooting a feature film with my very close friend, Matt Berman. It's called Oh, It's Personal. Um, we have uh, some people like the main stars of BJ and the Bear are making an appearance in our movie. That's um, rad. Yeah, we have... Um, uh, sorry, uh, Kelly Perrine is going to be the main star of that movie. He's on a lot of Nickelodeon shows right now. Um, he is an absolutely wonderful actor. He's done a lot of ta- Tyler Perry work. He's a close friend. I've worked with him on a couple of features. Um, and I'm working with a lot of the crew that I work with on my feature films. Okay. So that is going to be shooting March 2nd through the 10th. Um, and we are basically already ready to go. We've just got a few more things to, um, to tidy up and, and we're ready to get shooting. So we're, that's going to be a very exciting experience. Are you guys hoping for a theatrical release of that one? Uh, yes. And in fact, we do have, uh, we're, we're going to be going the film festival circuit way okay. as well. Beautiful. And, um, uh, through a very good friend through, uh, Louisville film festival, uh, we will be premiering at the Louisville film, film, uh, film festival, uh, upon completion of the feature. So that'll be our first place of, of, of showing. Uh, it is a very ultra-low-budget feature film. However, it's got a lot of promise, and we're hoping to do a very a lot with very little. Yeah. So it's going to be very exciting. Um, it is not the first movie I've produced. I've produced two other f- uh, feature films, uh, one of which is already on Netflix and Amazon, I think, and that's uh, World Dumb Wrestling Federation. Uh, that was directed by uh, Enrico Natale, uh, written by myself. I produced it. Um, I was an actor in it. I actually played a bear, a uh, thumb wrestler. I was a guy <laughs> in a thumb wrestling costume that made unbelievable bear puns over and over. So that's a fun <laughs> little thing that you can check out. Um, however, this film, Oh, It's Personal, is a very big thing in my career because it is the first film that I have been asked to solo produce. Oh. So I am the solo producer on... Oh, it's personal because Matt Berman, the director, wanted to give me my shot to see what I could do without a team of people, which has been terrifying for me because I'm such a team mentality person. So I have obviously built the rest of my crew to support me as much Mm -hmm. as possible. Um, But because it is my first solo producing thing and it is a little bit of um, stress and excitement, but a challenge that I'm greatly looking forward to taking. Cool. and then in the upcoming future, which we're still in the funding process, I have a, my feature film written by James McInerney, my roommate that I traveled out here with, and another friend, Jason Carpenter. Um, I'm looking to direct that. That will be my directorial feature debut, and it's a psychological horror um, all about sin and what it means to be human, and it just has a lot of wonderful messages. It's still in the funding process right now, but we are getting things off the ground, and it is the most beautiful script i've ever had in my hands so it's called red angel it's called red angel if i didn't say sorry (laughs) it's called red angel and um (laughs) it's gonna be it's gonna be great um it it will be starring mallory here as one of the uh, Mm. uh main characters um and a lot of just wonderful faces that are friends and both celeb alike so it it should be an interesting experience but that's a very uh new venture still getting it off the ground cool you guys got a lot going on Always, and still writing my two fantasy books, and still producing Tag Your Friend. That'll be coming out until October, and, 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 and. And, we, and, and. Uh, we believe in continuing to work. I mean, you have a couple shows that you're working on, too. Yeah, we, we don't just like to, you know, sit still. I, I kind of mentioned before, you know, working on my travel pilot, and all of the crazy, adventurous, exciting things, which you can check out on Mallory'sAdventures.com. Yes, Mallory is a writer as well, so there's a whole lot of writing going on in this house. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, and, you know, I always wanted to be a novelist, and she's written one book and a short story that's been published. And Uh, going to do a second book, hopefully. I have have published some poetry, though. He has. Really? I, I have a large amount of poetry that she convinced me to start submitting for publication, and I have been published in a couple of different poetry books and compilations Very and websites. Cool. Yeah. That counts. You're published. Yeah. You're legit. <laughs> yeah. I and So I, I love it. So I have, uh, but that's something I kind of just do more as a hobbyist. But um, but uh, I do do a lot of poetry and stuff. But she's yeah. she's beating me on the novel front. I'm trying to stop that. But you know, if you, you have to just sit down and go for it. And, and you yeah. know, I was working with uh, Ben Chormer when I wrote my, my Playboy book. A lot, a lot of it was already put together because it was journal entries and stuff of that nature. But, I mean, I just would sit down every night and spend, you know, hours just 
okay, no one's awake. I'm here. I'm just going to keep going through. You have to read it over a million times. But if you don't really focus on it and then actively get it out there, you're never going to get it out there. So they actually have writing agent books. It's like a writing mm -hmm. guide. They have the same thing with publishers. And I mean, I submitted to hundreds of publishers, everything listed in the book, just get it out there. You know, that's what you have to do. It's definitely still possible to publish in a traditional way. Now it's just harder. You know, you have to get out there and do everything you can to get your work seen. And tell, tell everybody the title of your book, Mallory. Uh, my Playboy Story, Hopping from Richmond to Hollywood. And I know it's on Amazon. It is. It's on Amazon. It's also on iBooks. So if you have your iPhone, you can download it in your book there as well. Very cool. Did you talk about your short story on the other one? Not really. A little bit. You just mentioned your short story and the book title too. Uh, my, my short story, it's in, in the anthology Choices. It's called What Love Has Taught Me. And it was, you know, me being a 13-year-old falling in love for the first time. And it was very untraditional because my first love was actually with a girl. And, and, and just what you go through in, like, Virginia where that's not okay. And, and, and finding myself and becoming okay with who I was growing up. And, and it is, it's very interesting. It's, it's, again, all through journals. It's actually just my journal from when I was, like, you know, 13. I went back and found it. But it's a very interesting story. It's in the anthology Choices. And that's also on Amazon. I think if you actually put my name in Amazon, my author profile comes up mm, with okay. both books. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting book, too, because I, you know, having dated her for so long, I've read those journals. And <clears throat> she was talking about after she had finished her book, she didn't know what her next one was going to be. And, and I mentioned, I was like, you know, I, I did tell you that those journals I read when you were falling in love with a woman were fascinating. I mean, and just from somebody that hasn't experienced the same thing to read the thought processes of somebody that's falling in love uh, with the same sex and going through in a very conservative Bible Belt type mm -hmm. uh, atmosphere, it is fascinating to just read what happens to such a person uh in their mind and like what they go through. And so that's what, that's what choices is about. And it's, it's fat. It was, it's fascinating to me and I've read the short story and I couldn't even put down the short story having already read the journals. So yeah. it was, it, I thought it was beautiful. It's all about, I feel like with writing, it's all about content and the right story and you know what people will want to hear. And it's, it's not the same thing everybody's writing. So you really have to right. find that story that's unique to you that people are interested in. But it's it's kind of in the reality sense of things as well as, mm -hmm. because it happened to you. Yeah. You're, you're telling your own story that mm -hmm. happened. Exactly. That's what I like. That's what I want to do with my travel book, too. I want it to be unique. I want it to be stuff that I've gone through. But, you know, that, that also helps other people, that helps them grow and helps them see things in a different way. Because mm -hmm. not everything is, is fun and pleasant. That's kind of the stuff people want to read about. But you have to kind of put a positive spin on the bad. Like when we were in Finland, it was the most, like, amazing trip in the world. We went to Kaukslauten, and it's this Arctic resort. And I had the time of my life. But then at the same time, I got abhorrently ill. And, and, you know, it's like, how, how do you, how do you deal with, you know, not being able to eat? Cause I actually couldn't eat the entire time we were there in, in this, you know, foreign place and, and how you kind of work through that and then coming home and, and it actually, I developed uh, like some kind of panic disorder from starving oh. accident. Like I didn't mean to starve myself, yeah. but I got really sick and then I, you know, and, and recovering from that. So, you know, you do face these challenges in other places and, you know, people, probably do want to read it because they want to know what happens if you know if you're stuck sure. somewhere what happens yeah. to you how you get through this so yeah and and also what a nightmare that must have been <laughs> especially if you're a foodie in I another know. country i was well, so it was, sad it was actually and it was very interesting because the way that the arctic resort worked is that at dinner you came and you said what time you were coming to dinner and they had these gourmet meals that it were was based inclusive on yeah and it was all inclusive and she she couldn't eat them and we would have to go to the breakfast bar and grab just little bits of fruit and bread and things. And what would happen every day, it was terrifying for me to watch too. She would very slowly, I mean, over the course of an hour, eat a piece of toast, some grapes, and some cheese. Yeah. That's I all also, she would eat. I did and live off cucumbers would, too. Cucumbers, cucumbers were like the sole thing that kept me going really. Yeah. And then she would eat them and then she would have to lay on the table, like her head down on the table for an hour while the pain of whatever was going on with her digestion system would kick in. 
and then she would revitalize. We think it was like a bacterial infection or something like that was happening in my intestines mm. or my stomach. And, and yeah, it was, you know, I did, I did eat some reindeer. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like that was something that I'm like, <laughs> I have to try this, but you know, then you, you just die from making that choice. Actually, but. it was, uh, I, I really enjoyed so it, good. even though it is totally morbid sounding. They called it Rudolph. <laughs> of course. Because it was, um, cranberries with, uh, Sautéed reindeer on a bed of mashed potatoes. It was so good. So it was like reindeer on snow with a little red nose. And it was, it well, was delicious. It's beyond. a good thing we're talking about this a month after Christmas. Yes. Yeah, I know, Yes, right? exactly. But uh, so sorry, kids. Uh, I, ate, I ate Rudolph. But I know. We went we went reindeer sledding and then had they, they give you reindeer for dinner. And you're like, but I don't know about this. I don't know. But... <laughs> It was it was definitely an experience. I was I was very sad because I love food so and this, much. This one's on your blog as well. It is. We talked about this more in detail in Mallory's um, podcast episode, but she is a writer as well, and she does a travel blog called Mallory's Adventures. dot com. Yeah. <laughs> so check it out. Absolutely. Um, Actually, piggybacking off that story, I'll tell another story. We went to Argentina real quick. Sure. Um, so we went to Argentina, and we were dumb. And we forgot that when you hop the equator, it changes the season. And so we went, we hopped the this equator. This back in the beginning, when like, like my second trip ever. So Yeah, so we hopped <laughs> the equator, went to Argentina, showed up in short sleeves and short pants in like 20-degree weather. Oops. And so the first thing we did was we ran to a clothing store. There was this leather store that was going out of business, and I love leather coats. I absolutely love leather coats. And so I was like, well, I'm here. It's the peso. It's cheaper. Uh, I know that Argentina is known for their leathers and their meat and everything. So I, I went, and I went there, and they... They do shopping in a whole different light. They, they do shopping with, um, every, like, uh, I sat in a chair and this guy was massaging me. They brought a Coca-Cola out in a bottle and, like, served it to me while she's showing me choices. And the one thing that killed me, the one thing that I had to beg them to stop doing is that in Argentina, when they show you leathers, their trick, like, the thing that they, they're so proud of is that they have pictures of the animals that it's coming from and so they say this one this one is made from carpincho and then they show you and it's like this bunny dog thing and you're like i don't want to see we that we saw them at the zoo that day so we were like we don't want to see the that that came from them yeah but so so they would show us pictures and I, so i had to be like okay look i'm an american person i need you to not show me the pictures it's okay to tell me what animal if that's how you do your sale but Honestly, frankly, just hand me the leather, let me look at it, let me touch it, and then let me buy it without thinking about it. And she would just keep constantly, she would be like, oh, you like those gloves? I was like, yeah, I love those gloves. And she's like, oh, they are made from the finest goats. I'm like, will you please stop? I was like, stop reminding me. So when Mallory, when you guys are going out for the night and Mallory asks you what jacket you want, <laughs> do you call it by name? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, you know, today I'm feeling goat. It's, like the, the, it's the Argentina jacket. We just leave it at that. The Argentina jacket. I, I have since tried to forget what animal, but I still remember in the cage-locked memory of my mind. But it, well, at the end of the day, I still needed a coat, and I still love leather. And I'm like, well, <laughs> buddy, I guess you're coming with me on this journey. But uh, it go. was a very interesting experience. And then um, my other favorite thing was with Mallory, because Mallory is... She is what we consider a cutitarian. She doesn't eat anything that's cute. Uh, she, Not exactly if, why. If, but... if it's cute in her mind, she refuses to eat it. Um, but at the same time, they had these furs they were selling. She's like, oh, look, it's faux bunny fur. And I turn it over and I see the stitching. It was like $3, like three American dollars. I'm like, that can't be real. It was real. And I kept trying to say, I don't think you want this. She's like, no, but it's so pretty. I want this fake bunny fur. And I'm having to look at her and the guy's trying to... It was a scarf and it was like $3. The guy was was trying to explain over and over again, no, it's it's not fake. It's real. And she was not getting it. And so she bought it. She walked away. And I literally remember uh, the next day, like emailing my dad. And I was like, dad, uh, I am not ever going to tell Mallory that that is real. So just don't bring it up. Did you ever wear that one to the mansion? No. <laughs> you know, I like I have a, like that from like Argentina, but I don't I don't really feel comfortable wearing it even out in, you know, today's world cuz fur oh, is so no. yeah, it, it's such a thing now where it's pretty much no big mainstream, I mean some of them are, but most big mainstream designers are actually stopping, you mm-hmm. know, making anything with fur. So 
I don't want to be that person. You don't want PETA knocking no. on your door. No. Yeah, and and see, I I'm one of those. I'm I'm very pragmatic as a human being. So for me, right? So we have lots of cows uh, that we're using to eat for food. So I'm like, well, I believe in like the native American, uh, point of view, which is you don't waste any part of the animal. So if you are already going to kill the animal, I don't mind having leather jackets made of cow, book a cow hide, because we're, if we're, as long as we're using every part of the animal, mm-hmm. it makes me feel better about having to consume life to continue to live. Yeah. But at the same time, I'd rather us not run around making coats out of dogs and cats. And Mallory's fascinated with bones. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, mostly human bones. <laughs> Her yeah, fascination is mostly with no. with dead human beings. Like the place that you're going for your travel show, the Bone Museum or whatever. The that that's that's not no that's not a bone museum. There's an ossuary in like Prague that I wanted to take you to, but yeah, stop taking me to scary places. Yeah. Oh, you mean the human brain? Sorry, that, which is uh, also worse. Also, she took me to France, and I don't know if anyone knows this, but in Paris, France, there is a catacombs under the city with hundreds of thousands of different bones that Mallory just loved to go visit. It was just cool. It's a weird place. Like, you know, you say, like, no, the... One of the we're not actually gonna film it for for my pilot for my travel show, but you know I'm kind of setting up this whole like day trip in Connecticut and the places we're gonna go, and uh, one of the places I'm gonna stop by and just check out is uh, the Cushing Center at Yale has a whole human brain collection on display. It was like you know because they had a big neurosurgeon department and and one of the guys that I guess you know funded a lot of the university had this whole collection because he was a brain surgeon and once he passed he dedicated it to Yale and they had it put in the back forever and in 2010 they brought it out on display so you can actually get like a tour yeah because when i think fun i think you know what i would love to see <laughs> the a bunch of dead human brains yeah. it's That's... the brainiac tour yeah it's yeah. the brainiac tour <laughs> yeah it's just like i mean it tells a great story you know you say i just went and saw this human brain collection well it's not every day you get to see brains it's yeah. true and you know it's funny many days i wonder if i'm going to see a human brain and now I well, know that that is going to be in my future. <laughs> I don't like going to these places. <laughs> but they're yeah. educational. Yeah. Yeah. Mallory likes the weird and yeah. the wild. And that's why she's got weird, weirdworldadventures.com. Right? Yeah. Well, it, it takes you to my blog, but it's for it's for my uh, my pilot. Yeah. <laughs> but um, This weird world shown to you in a different way. <laughs> well, I think that's that's a pretty long digression. So I don't even know where to bounce back from here. <laughs> Um, one thing I was curious about on your IMDb page, you guys did another little web series thing called Chocolate Milk. Yeah. What was yeah. that about? Uh, Chocolate <laughs> Milk was a series we did, uh, with the co-creator Raquel Pomplin. Um, and that was mostly employing other playmates that wanted to do comedy, just silly fun little comedy things that we had a lot of started it was kind of like tag your friend in a way where it was me and Raquel and you know just highlighting the things that were it was specifically me like I was the weird one and she was the straight man like all the crazy stuff I would do just heightened on a different level and it was chocolate milk because you know I'm super white and Raquel is like brown so we were (laughs) chocolate milk together got it got it (laughs) that's how it came but that was really that that show was really more about um, Raquel and Mallory, they asked me to come on board and direct and kind of put the show together. And I, I have some episodes of that that I'm very proud of. And it was a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. It took on a very strong flavor from, uh, what Raquel wanted to do. She had this very strong vision of the show that she wanted to, um, to do with her and Mallory showing off her friendship. And what was the show that it was supposed to be? Well, no, she was just like, she saw Tina Fey and Amy Poehler doing their, their stuff because they're always together. And she's like, that could be us. We're like that. Let's do it. You know, and that's kind of how it started. Uh, the first episode is, is probably my favorite because it's about Disneyland and, and how I just, you know, get crazy and have to go to Disneyland. And Raquel was like, I don't know if I want to go to Disneyland. And I'm like, never going to Disneyland, you know, and, and, and just, just the crazy fact that, you know, an adult is that excited about Disneyland. Yeah, but it was it was I a fun a new level. <laughs> it was a fun show. I've done a, a couple web series since we've done uh, the web series uh, Quarter Circle, which only ended up having a pilot episode, but it's a lot of fun. It's basically supposed to be a 1990s video game, 
and uh, that's on our YouTube still. Um, it's a very funny first episode that kind of makes fun of that trope. And then I did a longer form web series called Project Child Origins that actually takes a completely dark fantasy tone. And it's a dark fantasy tone with some sci-fi elements. It's like Star Wars meets Men in Black. And um, we've had five episodes of very successful run. Um, we're actually gearing up for a season two soon. Uh, we're going to do a 10 episode season two at the beginning of next year. Um, and that stars um, Derek Noel, um, who was played by Robin Dieter. It was actually his uh, based on a book he wrote called Project Child, pro- called Project Child. Um, and the series goes over the char- character Derek's love with the character uh, Julia and his best friend Brandon. And the show has demons, devils, uh, fight scenes, superpowers, philosophy, um, and it's a very interesting, dark show. And it actually has an interesting origin story because the show was created because uh, Robin's past, he was actually an orphan on the streets of Korea. And his mom, who is, uh, I believe, um, she was an American uh, German woman, I think, and she found him on the streets in Korea and brought him back and adopted him. But he has these, he says, these just weird fever dreamy uh, visions of what it was like as an orphan on the child, like on the streets of Korea. Um, And he he used those things, the things that he saw to create this very weird fantasy world that uh, is all about when you see something paranormal, you have three choices. You can accept it, you can reject it, or you can pretend it never happened. And based on what uh, your choice in the show, it changes how your philosophy on life and your superpowers unfold and all these things. Hmm. And it's, it's a very fascinating story. But Project Child Origins, it's one of the works that I'm absolutely most proud of. And it is uh, anyone that has, has watched it can can speak well of the quality and of the storytelling and the acting and everything it was very interesting. And you'll see a lot of uh, similar faces from Tag Your Friend and Chocolate Milk and, and everything else. I, I like, like I said before, I, I like to cast from my family and my crew is always mm-hmm. my family. So it was, it was a wonderful project. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are all the web series I've done. I've done a lot of web series. Oh, and, and if you want to go back really far, it's like the eight year anniversary of a show called Good Job Thanks. I actually brought that up. Oh, you did? Yeah, Good Job yeah. Good Job Thanks was all about casting directors in Los Angeles and what it's like dealing with actors in film. And Good Job Thanks was a 10-episode series. Uh, personally, I'm a bigger fan of our earlier episodes. I think we went a little off the wall near the end. Uh, they also got unbelievably long. Like It started off as a five-minute formula web series and ended up 10 to 20 minutes. Uh, so I would probably watch the first like seven or eight episodes first, but, uh, they're really funny and it's an amazing commentary on casting in LA. And frankly, it's still relevant even now, even though the series is like eight years old. That's stuff that nobody ever gets to see unless you're an actor in that room. Yes. That would be fascinating to watch. It is. And you should absolutely go check it out. It's good job. Thanks on, on YouTube. Um, good job, comma, thanks on YouTube. And it is it is really worth the watch. It's hilarious. It has a lot of celebrity guest stars, Kirsten Vangsness, uh, Rick Overton, uh, Jonathan Bennett from Mean Girls. Um, our, our friend Ryan Glasgow was the main producer. Um, somebody I used to know named Enrico Natale was the director of most of the episodes. Sandy Martin from Napoleon Dynamite, the grandma. Uh, she was a major part and was the director, I think, of the last two episodes. So there's a lot of a lot of bigger celebrity names involved, and it, it was a fun series. It really had a lot of promise, and it was a pioneer of the web series formula back when web series were just starting to be a thing. So it's it's fascinating to go back and watch and see what that kind of looked like back then. And I was just an assistant director, but my company, uh, which used to be called Red Eye Dragons, uh, which Mallory was a part of, and a couple of our friends were too. Uh, was one of the um, production teams behind it. So we had a lot to do with how the shows turned out. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think we uh, covered a bunch of stuff and mm-hmm. I'm excited to see a, everything that you talked about and especially the, the film, the feature that you're working on. I can't wait to see that one. Yeah, definitely. And, and you can go back and watch a couple of the features that we actually have out. Um, Matt Berman, the guy that's directing, Oh, it's personal. The last film he did was called the wedding pact, which I was also on, not as a producer, but as an assistant director, but he directed the wedding pact. It's, it's amazing. It's with Haley Duff and it's Mm. a really hilarious, uh, very well told romantic comedy. And that's on different social networks. You can find that out now. WTF world thumb wrestling federation. Mm -hmm. That's definitely out now that, that released like two years ago. And it's a very, 
weird documentary about uh, the world of competitive thumb wrestling. Um, I think those are the main features that are currently out. And I'm hoping the other one is going to come out that I'm actually most proud of producing wise, which is kids can it's not out or even has an avenue for distribution at the moment, but it starred, um, Demetrius Navarro's son, uh, Aidan Navarro. And the whole show was about kids making films, Mm. um, and swaying the adults, tricking the adults using his father's name, to get the resources to make a movie and them thinking they're working for the older Mr. Navarro when they were really working for the child, Mr. Navarro. Nice. And it's a very amazingly told script. And the best part about it, it really was written by the star of that movie, Idan Navarro. So it really was written by a child and the scope of the movie was for charity and it's really well done. So I really hope it finds an avenue soon. Is that one out to view somewhere? It is not, unfortunately. It has not found an avenue for distribution yet, but I'm hoping that um, Demetrius Navarro, who is currently in charge of of that, is able to find something because it it is a wonderfully well-done job. So hopefully it comes out somewhere. (laughs) Fingers crossed for that. Absolutely. Well, give everybody some central social media places to go to see your stuff again. Sure. Uh, I mean, one of the ones he mentioned is my IMDb, Damien C. King. A lot of external links will exist from there, so you can see a lot of the work that I've done over the years. Um, Best links are Tag Your Friend series uh, over YouTube, Facebook, etc. Project Child Origins on Facebook. Um, Chocolate Milk series on YouTube. Uh, What other things do we want them to link to? Mallory's Weird... Sorry... Mallory'sAdventures.com. Mallory'sAdventures.com. Big one. And I think that's more than enough for you guys to bite off and, and look into what we what we do. Um, and uh, guys thank you Twitter, so much. Twitter as well? Uh, yeah, sorry. Yes. Uh, I'm Screptile on Twitter and Instagram. So SC Reptile. Okay. SC Reptile on tw- uh, Twitter and Instagram. And mine's just my name, M-A-L-O-R-I-E-M-A-C-K-E-Y. And that's it. Twitter, etc. Everywhere, Facebook across the fan board. page, all that stuff, and then I don't have a Facebook fan page, so just stick to Instagram and Twitter. Probably works best. Copy that. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us on. Thanks. Absolutely, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, we would greatly appreciate it if you like and share the show with anyone that you think would enjoy it as well. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts to get new episodes as soon as they come out. You can find the links to everything we talked about on the show in the show notes. Definitely check out Tag a Friend. It's pretty funny. So until next time, I'm Darren Wilson. I'll talk to you soon.